surrounded by 56 acres of parklands in South County Dublin, Blackrock College is a fee-paying day and boarding school, one of the most exclusive schools in Ireland. Founded in 1860 by the Holy Ghost Order, or Spiritans as they're now known, today Blackrock College is one of 10 primary and secondary schools the Order runs in Ireland in cooperation with lay personnel. Throughout its history, Blackrock College graduates have succeeded in reaching the top echelons of Irish life. And Blackrock College still holds a prestigious place in Irish society, just not for everyone. My name is David Ryan, originally from Blackrock in County Dublin, now living in County Tipperary. I'm Mark Ryan and I'm 61 years of age and I'm from Blackrock County Dublin, living in London, South London. Mark is my older brother and the middle child. Uh, we grew up in a cul-de-sac at home in Blackrock. Off Mary Avenue, semi-detached house, nothing fancy or anything like that. You know, my father worked, my mum stayed at home. We got on well. My mum and dad were around. We had a loving family. Happy times as a young kid growing up. Reading books, playing, disappearing in the morning, coming back in the evening. There was a big field behind our house. I mean, carefree days. We all went to the same national school together and then we... Our secondary schooling, we all went to different schools because my parents didn't want us in the same school. Mark went to Blackwood College, I went to St. Lawrence's, so we were all spread out. Um, there's only kind of three years between myself and Mark. Blackwood College was literally five, six minutes walk down the road from where we were. Um, I remember having an interview with the principal and my parents came down and you know, having to wear a little suit and tie. Uh, Fee-paying didn't make any difference to me. It was just a school. From RTE Documentary and One, this is Black Rock Boys. In 1973, Eamon de Valera, himself a Black Rock College graduate, was still President of Ireland. And that September, Mark Ryan began his secondary education at Black Rock College. My parents... They were very proud that I went to Blackwell College. They thought it was a fantastic school. My father had to leave school when he was quite young because his father had died and he had to go out and work. He really wanted the best education for his children. They thought that Blackwell College was it for me. During Mark's first year at Blackrock College, one of the teachers began to take a special interest in him. I was befriended by one of the teachers there, a priest. He saw that I had an interest, I suppose, in basic maths and computers and things like that. And there was a little computer society. This priest, Mark's teacher, gave him his own computer, a rare thing in 1970s Ireland. I now realise I was being groomed. It's a relatively new thought for me. And when I see things now, my understanding is my parents were being groomed. The priest who was grooming Mark was a Holy Ghost father, or Spiritan as they're now known, and his name was Father Tom O'Byrne. Originally from Limerick, Father O'Byrne had a degree in philosophy and had taught at other Spiritan schools before moving into Blackrock College in 1967 to live and work there as a full-time teacher. So I was in Blackrock College, this particular priest, I'm going to call him the perpetrator because... This is what actually happened, the perpetrator. 
used to invite me down for swimming down in Willow Park, which was the primary school connected to the secondary school. It had its own swimming pool. Friday evening, Saturday evening, go down for a swim, which was fantastic in its own way, be able to go for a swim. Well, that's part of the grooming, being chosen, made to feel special. And he was coming up to our house. My parents thought he was fantastic. At this stage, Father O'Byrne was 54 years old. From 12, being touched, and I just felt uncomfortable with it. So there was nothing sexual or anything like that in the beginning, but just a hand on the arm, and I didn't really like it. Once the private swimming sessions with Father O'Byrne and the grounds of Blackrock College became more regular, his behaviour began to change. He'd wear strange togs, which are different shapes and things like that, and they had no real back on them. I'd say, that's a tong now. Just touching feeling and, you know, why don't you try these ones on, changing into different things at the edge of the swimming pool. He had a camera, he used to take photographs as well. I was down the swimming pool by myself, so there was nobody else there. Just going down there and changing and him standing behind me and holding a towel on my back and things like that and pushing against me. I have quite strong memories about that. Other times being down there, older boys had gone swimming beforehand, so the Venture Scouts, and I remember them. We were, I was in one changing room with him and these guys are all in the room next, or the space next door, and they were talking about him and saying he was a bender. I can remember that, but I, I didn't know what it meant. Father O'Byrne began to regularly abuse Mark, and when he was around 14 years old, another priest from Blackrock College began abusing him, together with Father O'Byrne. He was very funny and strange as well. I really didn't like him. At one stage, he was with my perpetrator, and I'd had an operation in Vincent's Hospital, and it was to remove varicose veins in my scrotum. And the main perpetrator came along to visit me, and I remember kind of him pulling the curtain back and hide me. He was very interested in looking at uh, my stitches in the wound, because it's around the pubic area. And then I was back at school. This was actually in the swimming pool in Blackwell College. He was down swimming as well. And, oh, Mark, do you want to show off your scars and things like that to this other priest? And both of them examining me and looking at me. And, uh, yeah. Father O'Byrne continued to abuse Mark at the swimming pool and library in Blackrock College during his third and fourth year at the school. One thing, I mean, I had an ulcer when I was 15 in school. I was very uptight. There was lots of different things going on in my head. I was very scared, very unhappy. Throughout all of his abuse at Blackrock College, Mark never told anyone. And he still can't fully detail how Father O'Byrne abused him. This was part of my life, so abuse was not in my vocabulary because you're talking about the physiology of your body and things like that, which we've not touched on, I don't want to. Because he was my teacher for maths, he taught me Latin as well, he taught me religion, person of authority, uh, with respect. It's an older person, I know he had greyish hair. I look back now and something was very wrong and how he looked after his body and things like that. Mark's abuse in Blackrock College 
began to stop when he started pushing back, including with the second priest who abused him. When I was bad in class or something like that, I wasn't the best student. Well, I'm going to tell your parents, and I started pushing back. No, you can, t- you can tell my parents. You know, I don't have to tell your parents if you pull your trousers down and uh, sit in my knee and things like that. This is not right. I felt very, very uncomfortable. But I didn't know anything else. I, there's no real talk about it anywhere. It just was never, never, ever mentioned. At some point around here, Mark's younger brother David, who was now 12, began to be invited by Father O'Byrne to private swimming sessions on the grounds of Blackrock College. As a 15-year-old, Mark never thought that what had happened to him could happen to his younger brother, David. And I thought he was safe all the time because he was with his friends and the neighbours. With Mark now having escaped the grip of his spirit and abusers at Blackrock College, his younger brother, David, was happy to get the invitation to private swimming sessions, the same special attention that he had seen Mark get. But 12-year-old David had no idea of what Father O'Byrne was capable of. There was a few of us that would go down. And I was interested in swimming at the stage anyway. So that was fine and kind of went down. And in the beginning, he'd always lock the door. And he'd always come out in a pair of very skimpy tongs. And he'd bring us into the pool and he'd take photographs of us. And he'd get us to wear his other ones that were very skimpy. Uh, and he'd take photographs. I thought, because he always say it smiled, but as I grew older, I wasn't smiling at the camera. He was taking from the lower half down, nothing else. It wasn't my face. And this went on for a while. Um, and we'd get into the pool. Like, we'd all be running around having a good old laugh, but he'd always try and come underneath us and... Um, make us lie out on our back and he'd be underneath but he'd be actually groping us underneath with his hands Um, and it was very uncomfortable but no one did anything and if he went down for a shower afterwards um, he'd be totally naked and he'd always say the shower down at the very bottom was a lot warmer than the ones on top but he was always walking around naked and we were only kids so you know seen a an older man, you know, you kind of go, what's he doing? But did nothing of it. So that carried on for, you know, kind of Easter holidays, then the summer holidays, and it just progressed. The group got bigger, and um, more of my friends started coming down, and there was two other girls and myself, and a few on the road, we started going down more and more. Maura Harmon was one of those two girls who began going to these private swimming sessions at Willow Park, on the grounds of Blackrock College with Father O'Byrne. Maura was a close friend of David's then and now. What I remember is we were invited, I can't remember through whom, but anyway, we ended up going down to the Willow Park swimming pool uh, where we met O'Byrne. We went swimming and it was great. It was great fun to have a swimming pool all to yourself. You know, there was usually about four of us and of course O'Byrne but strange things I kind of was noticing strange things like he would ask boys or girls to go and sit in his knee in the swimming pool and I just remember one occasion where my friend was a little unsure of what to do 
So I said, OK, we'll, we'll, you don't, don't go anywhere near him if you don't want to. We'll play piggyback. And I spent the whole of the swimming time underwater with her on, the, you know, like piggybacking to keep her away from him. You know, because, and because I suppose I thought that it was just a girl that he was just interested in the girls at that point. I, you know, I had no idea. Father O'Byrne was now almost 60 years old. And on weekends and school holidays, here he was with four young teenagers swimming behind a locked door on the grounds of Blackrock College. David was now about 13 years old and was beginning to get the full attention of Father O'Byrne, often swimming on his own with him now. He'd often ring up, O'Byrne would ring up on a Saturday night, do I want to come down? And I'd ask my mum and dad, and they said, yeah, if you want to go down, go down. So I used to go down sometimes on my own. Mark Spitz has already made Olympic history with five gold medals. Can he make it six, an all-time record for the Olympic Games? Because I had this thing in my head that I wanted to become an Olympic swimmer and I wanted to swim, swim at the Olympics in Montreal because Mark Spitz was my idol. Um, so I carried on swimming, you know. I was on my own. And this one has started getting really bad. The detail of David's abuse that you're about to hear is difficult to listen to. It's not suitable for younger listeners and it may have a triggering effect for victims of sexual abuse. He'd have the door open and he'd always close the door and then down to the changing room and I can still, to this day, smell the chlorine and the hotness of the pool. And I'd get changed and he'd tell me to put on these thongs. He'd make me sit on his knee and grope me a bit and he made me get erected and everything. And then I'd go off swimming and do my own thing and he'd jump into the pool and he'd be swimming beside me and I was trying to do my lengths as much as possible. Go down after I'd about an hour, so go down and have a shower and he'd make me get naked in the shower with him and he'd be up against me. He would have an erection on and he'd be thrusting himself against me and hands all over me and I was getting really uncomfortable with this, but I didn't know what to do. So that carried on. I said nothing to anybody. I kept it quiet, did nothing. And this is kind of second year, third year. And I was also swimming as well because next door neighbour was a lifeguard and I wanted to start doing my lifeguard exams. I had to go swimming more because for my exams I had to swim 25 lanes with a pair of jeans on and a t-shirt, which was no joke. So I used to go down and he'd often leave the keys for me. I'd let myself in. And this is when this other guy I cannot name. Same thing again. Uh, at this stage, I didn't know what was happening with my body. I was petrified. Just like his older brother, Mark, David now had two abusers from Blackrock College abusing him. David's second abuser was a different man to Mark's second abuser. At this stage, with David now aged 14, Mark had finished in Blackrock College. I did my leaving search when I was 16. I'd left Blackrock College. I then went and did hotel management. First time living away from home, so that was 17. And my results came in from my leaving cert and they weren't very good. 
because I didn't study an awful lot when I was in school because I'd sit and daydream and couldn't study. Uh, and I wanted to get out of the place. I hated the school that much. Just like Mark, David told no one about his abuse. But aged around 14, he did begin to start mentioning things to his friend Maura, who was still swimming with David and another boy and girl in the private pool sessions on the grounds of Blackrock College with Father O'Byrne. So what happened then was I was beginning to hear things, you know, that David was saying that were happening to him. And then one day O'Byrne, or one evening, because it's usually evening, O'Byrne asked myself and my friend to put on a shell bikini outfit, to which both of us said no. Um, so that he could take a photograph with us. So anyway, he tried again. We said, absolutely no. But he took the photograph in our ordinary swimming clothes anyway. There was a photography lab in Blackrock College back then, which allowed Father O'Byrne to develop all the photographs he took of these young children. But we spent the time in the changing rooms with one person keeping watch to see that he wasn't coming up as we were changing, because he would do that or he'd suddenly appear as we were having a shower. We always showered with our swimming clothes on, you know. And again, looking back on it, we were so naive. But after the shell bikini episode, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, look, I'm going to talk to my parents about all of this. And the others didn't want any of their parents to know. Maura's father is Professor Morris Harmon. He was then a lecturer at UCD. So... After a lot of promising, I went up to my dad and I told him what had happened in the pool about the bikinis and I told him about David and that this man was just dangerous, you know. So my dad went straight down to Blackrock College, spoke to the principal um, and that resulted in O'Byrne being sent away. But after whatever amount of time, a few months, he was back. It's unclear where Father O'Byrne was sent to or what his punishment or treatment might have been. But when he returned to Blackrock College, he got David a summer job in the library there and resumed abusing him. I'd also go down in the morning and he wants me to do all the books for him. And usually after lunch, um, I'd come back but he would come in and he would close the door of the library and lock it. And if I was in one of the kind of cubicle areas, so you couldn't, you couldn't never see anything that was happening. And he used to come down into the cubicle and um, he'd come in to me and he'd put me up against one of the, the walls and he'd started groping me, feeling me, trying to get me erect. He was erect all the time and kissing me and fondling me around and he masturbated himself off and he tried to do it to me many a time. And he always said, David, this is our secret and nobody else's. If you tell anybody, there'll be consequences. So this is our secret. Just like his brother Mark, as a young teenager, David had been targeted by Father O'Byrne as a victim of child sexual abuse. He prayed on me. He knew I was an easy prey and he did target me because I would never say no. And that's what they do, paedophiles. They know how to suss out people 
and he sussed me out. I was an easy prey for him. I never said no. I did anything he wanted for him. That's what they do. I could never say no. If he wanted me to do something, I did it. When I think back on it, I mean, how he violated my whole body. The abuse, what he actually did to me, and he thrust his body against me, you know, and I couldn't fight him off. Even though he was skinny, I wasn't able to fight him off. I mean, he often put his, I could feel it sometimes, his hands around my throat, and he literally pounding himself against me. Um, and his just ejaculation and oh god and then covered in it it was just what to do and he loved us absolutely loved us when everything had finished you could just hear the sigh of him out of just pure relief of releasing us and he, he got such pleasure out of us it was awful if I said no I could get hurt and that I did not want so I was his his pawn and that's what he used me, his pawn. Father O'Byrne took full advantage of David's vulnerability and of the control that he held over him. You walk through the main grounds from Mount Marion Avenue. It was kind of a tree-lined driveway. And then the priest's house it was a big oak tree on the left-hand side. That's where the priests used to live. It was called Clareville. Father O'Byrne was now taking David to his bedroom in the house he shared with other spirit and priests and teachers on the grounds of Black Rock College. I would go up to his rooms and knock on the door and he'd let me in and he'd make me lie down on the bed. He would put my hands behind my back and he'd lie on top of me and again he'd whisper in my ear, this is just our secret, um, you can never tell anybody. He tried to penetrate me so many times, it was just unbelievable. And I used to have to hide my underwear sometimes because it was blood. I could never let my mother see them, so I always took an extra, an extra pair with me because I knew what was going to happen. So that kind of brought me up to fifth year, sixth year. I kind of got out of it then because I got more and more interested in horse riding to leave the swimming. During his teenage years, David was an altar boy, often having to serve Sunday morning mass at a local church with Father O'Byrne, who was preaching from the pulpit and looking down on his congregation and on the young boy he'd have raped the night before. David did eventually tell someone, his friend, Maura. It was only kind of in around that time in the 80s when David told me what was going on, really. And he actually at one, one day brought me up to O'Byrne's bedroom to, to show me where... He had been brought and showed me stuff from under the bed, magazines and, and photographs that O'Byrne had taken. He wouldn't let me tell anybody else. And at that at that time, it was, you know, very much a promise. I, I really couldn't break it, but I probably should have, but didn't, because he was so adamant that, that he couldn't have his parents know what was going on. You know, I was telling him, you've got to stop, you've got to, get away from this man, you know. I suppose then, as time went on, he kind of did. But it ruined his life, like, even up to now. It has ruined David's life particularly. And Mark. 
the abuse they suffered on the grounds of Blackrock College affected the childhoods of David and his brother Mark in similar ways. I locked myself away in the room, didn't mix with people really, listened to Radio Dublin, the pirate radio stations and things like that. I got very introverted. I wasn't able to interact very well with people. I was afraid of people. I hated people touching me, hated people holding me. My schoolwork went, my eating habits went. Eventually my parents knew there was something wrong, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. They just thought um, I needed more help in my schoolwork, so they got me grinds and everything, but it wasn't that. It was the abuse, but I never told them. So I did my leaving cert three times. Um, uh, does that mean I'm thick and stupid? I don't actually know, but if I look back on it now, I think my emotional development had stopped when I was 12 or 13, and I just wasn't growing up properly. I did my leaving cert, but I wasn't able to do it. I was just so nervous. Couldn't cope with it. I just didn't do very well as I passed my leaving cert, but it was just the pure tension. For the next 20 years, David and Mark ran as far away from Blackrock College as they could. Both ended up in the UK. Mark working in IT and David working with horses. Neither of them knew about each other's abuse and both of them struggled through their 20s and 30s, often burying their thoughts in work or alcohol. It was very much work-orientated, party too much, drank too much. I was very bad in relationships uh, with girlfriends and things like that. Didn't want to make a commitment, no. But as things started to develop within a relationship, I wanted to finish it all, felt uncomfortable. It was easier to be alone. I found it very hard to mix with people, kept myself to myself. I never spoke about it, I never talked about it, tried to forget about it. I suffered terribly from psoriasis, which is, now we know why, nerves. That's why I thought running away to England, it'll be all gone. But it never goes. It, it just crept up and more and more. And that's when I came back to Ireland. That was in 2002. For more than 20 years, David and Mark had been trying to deal with the abuse on their own. But David now knew he wasn't able he came back to stay with his mum and dad at their home in Black Rock. And in early April 2002, the six o'clock TV news headlines were all about clerical child sexual abuse. The six o'clock news came on, Brian Dobson was reading it, and it was about child abuse. Good evening and welcome to 6-1. The Catholic Church... And my dad turned around and he said, David, did that priest ever do anything to you down in Black Rock College? And... I broke down crying. I said, yeah. And after kind of telling my mum and dad that night, we were in the kitchen. I think we polished up two bottles of wine. We didn't eat dinner. I think there was more tears. And then my dad phoned my brother Mark. And told me that my brother was back in Ireland and he'd had a breakdown and said stuff had happened to him as he was growing up. And that was to do with sexual abuse. And this is when my father rang me up. Did I, was I aware of this or anything like that? And I said, no, I don't know anything. But I said, I believe him. Uh, I believe him immediately. And my father said, why? And I said, well, this is what happened to me as well. 
it brings back memories. That phone call, uh, my father just the intake of breath and everything else. And oh my god, oh my god, what's happened? This is all in you know that ten or fifteen minutes of conversation talking to somebody. I had to admit publicly out loud when I say publicly it was to my father that stuff had happened to me stuff that I'd pushed to you know the first furthest regions of my head I didn't want to go there but I had to open up those doors and let it out I had to be there for my brother and my father just couldn't cope he was so upset over it I'll never forget it never I think dad had an inkling but he never wanted to ask me so that's when all the process started about the police. It's impossible to imagine the trauma on this family of everything being revealed all at once, including, for the first time, David and Mark finding out about each other's abuse and that they'd both been abused by the same man, Father Tom O'Byrne. So there's a commonality with that. And then speaking to my brother and I was saying, you know, he needs to go to the police, the Garda, and this has to be reported. It needs to be said, we'll be listened to. But my brother wouldn't go to the Garda, didn't want to say anything to anybody. Initially, it was Mark who first presented to make a statement to Ungarda Siakona. My father contacted the principal of Blackheart College and said, this is what's happened. There were meetings and telephone conversations. My father would tell me and I, I couldn't process it. And I flew in and met with a Gartha in Blackrock Police Station and told my story. That Gartha, I don't know whether he'd been trained or not, but the empathy he had and being able to listen, to take the notes, ask the questions, um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And that was to pave the way for my brother so he could go down and meet up with his car there. This was now May 2002, when Mark was aged 40 and David 38. Down to the police station and started making statements. And it was two days of statements in Black Rock. It was like a death in me. I was just killed. Um, I was embarrassed, ashamed, petrified. I wasn't, wasn't sleeping properly and I, I felt so guilty, dirty, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I wasn't suicidal, but it took, it took an awful lot out of me. One of David's childhood friends, who had gone swimming with him in the company of Father O'Byrne at Blackrock College, he had also been abused. And now he too was making statements to Angarda Siakona. Three boys to be abused by one guy down in Blackrock College is just unbelievable. After David and Mark made statements to Gardaí, Father O'Byrne, who is now 82 years old and still living on the grounds of Blackrock College, he was brought into Blackrock Garda Station. He denied all the allegations made against him, but he did admit to taking photographs of Mark and David in their swimwear. By the end of that year, Father O'Byrne was retired out of Blackrock College and sent to live at the Kimmage community of the Spiritans. All of this was having a ripple effect, including on David's friend, Maura. You know, supporting a close friend who has had to, I don't know, find some strength from somewhere, 
to face it, this awful thing that happened to him. Um, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so my parents and his parents got together and talked about it. And his parents were absolutely, it was, a hard, it was very hard for everybody. The shock with my dad and my mum, we are their babies. We are their children. They wanted the best for us. As David and Mark awaited a decision for criminal prosecution from the DPP, they instigated civil proceedings against the Spiritans and Blackrock College to seek compensation for the abuse they suffered. This whole thing just took on a life of its own now because you start dealing with uh, the DPP, the Department of Public Prosecution, with their investigations. In November 2003, the DPP charged Father Tom O'Byrne with 37 counts of indecent assault against Mark, David and David's friend, having taken place between the years 1974 and 1981 on the grounds of Blackrock College. Mark's second abuser had died some years earlier and the DPP opted not to proceed with charges against David's second abuser. Just It was a slow, slow process trying to get it to court. And there were judicial reviews... Judicial reviews then went to the High Court. Took a long time. I think it was over three years before we got to court. It was a long, long time. It was a lot of paperwork and a lot of hardship. As Mark and David awaited the court process, on September 23rd, 2005, their civil proceedings, which they'd instigated three years earlier, finally came to fruition. And we had a meeting, I can remember a long table, went in with the solicitor. My brother, myself, members of the spirit and community and their barrister. And this is my first real time sitting down with the spirit. And I remember we were in the mediation and we were offered something. And I looked at Mark and going, no way. And I think I, fought, I ran across the road and I phoned mum and dad and I told them and they said, no way. So we went back in again and negotiated. We fought it and then we got the second offer. And we took us money as money, but wasn't enough. Mark and David were each paid a six-figure settlement without any admission of legal liability or form of an apology. The settlements were co-signed by the provincial or head of the Spiritan Order in Ireland and the president of Blackrock College. And in the document that David and Mark signed, it prevented them from making any future claims in full and final settlement of all claims which I may make or which may be made on my behalf of whatsoever nature and against whomsoever in connection with the matters referred to in the within proceedings and in connection with any other matter of any nature or kind pertaining to any member past or present and living or deceased of the Holy Ghost congregation and any employee volunteer or other person having any connection to the Holy Ghost congregation and or Blackrock College and Willow Park Preparatory School. I had to ask for papers from the solicitor this year. I don't remember what I signed. I don't even remember signing the papers. I was so emotionally caught up. Uh, it's complete blank, complete not a blank. Throughout the entire legal process, Father O'Byrne and his wider legal team attempted to halt the criminal case by way of what's called a judicial review application, essentially trying to get the case dropped and prevent it from getting to open court and becoming publicly known. Whenever O'Byrne was going to 
court. There was a hearings and their hearings were put off and put off each time. Um, and I would see him across the room and I could, I just stared him out. And eventually we got it into court. The DPP fought hard for a prosecution. And on the 17th of January 2006, High Court Judge Mr Justice Roderick Murphy ruled that the criminal case of the DPP versus Father O'Byrne should proceed. Mark and David began to look ahead to Father O'Byrne finally going on trial. But Father O'Byrne's legal team had one last attempt left to halt the process. And they appealed the High Court decision. And then from the High Court to the Supreme Court to see if they could actually go forward with prosecution. In February 2007, almost five years after Mark and David had given their first statements at Blackrock Garda Station, a Supreme Court judgment was made. The judgment, read by Justice Hardiman, opened with the following. This is a difficult and in some ways an agonising case having regard to the principles I'm about to expound. It is, as will be seen, a borderline case. However, it is one of which I have come to a clear view and I do not think there is any point in delaying the giving of judgment. Father O'Byrne's legal team had sought relief from a criminal court case proceeding primarily on the grounds that the allegations of sexual abuse took place too long ago and that he was too old. Whilst Father O'Byrne was 82 years old when Mark and David first gave their statements, Father O'Byrne, the defendant in this case, was now 87. And in the final paragraphs of the Supreme Court judgment, Judge Hardiman states, It is, as I say, essential that the court should be alert not to replace one possible injustice with another. And in those circumstances, it appears to me that this is a case where quite unnecessary stress and anxiety has indeed been caused to this defendant. In the circumstances of this case, therefore, I would allow the appeal and set aside the High Court order and grant the relief sought. The Supreme Court felt there would be no benefit in going forward with a case because the perpetrator was an old man. And they were just brought in and were told, well, um, he's not going to stand trial. And that was the end of it. Thrown out, goodbye and God bless. Uh, I'm, I'm still lost for words with that after all these years. That, and the length of time we had to wait, that they couldn't prosecute. It's just wrong. So, so, so wrong. Mark, David, David's friend who was also involved in the case, their families, they have never understood the Supreme Court decision which saved Father O'Byrne from facing a public criminal trial and prevented them from getting a shot at justice. I have to say this part of the story, there's my complete disgust with the judicial system in Ireland and I think with the spirit and the perpetrator at the time, the defence that they had, this barrister was such a good barrister. The priest who taught received a salary from the state and then the schools would have kept that, most of that salary and the priest would have got a stipend, but the money would have gone into uh, the actual order, the congregation. So how could he have afforded a barrister like this? Having finally reached out for justice, 
Mark and David's sense of injustice as adults compounded the abuse they'd suffered as children. And for the next 10 years, they attempted to put everything behind them. Or at least they tried. Life did progress. Mark's partner gave birth to their son and David continued to work within the horse industry in Ireland. But their entire family unit had been damaged. Mum didn't say an awful lot. She's very like, well, I'm very like her, keep everything very quiet. She kept it together, but she was very hurt inside. Very, very hurt. I mean, she told a few people that her friends to have two sons abused. It's not, you don't often hear it. All I know is that she used to have so many sleepless nights, just couldn't sleep. And I think it was the thoughts that used to go through her head. She was a churchgoer, and like on a Sunday, she believed in God and things like that. But she refused to go to Mass anymore, wouldn't be part of it. And David and Mark's father never really came to terms with their abuse either. My father had a brain aneurysm shortly after this came out in the beginning. Who's to know whether that actually happened because of what happened to us in the story? He never really recovered. He was in constant shock. He'd, the hurt and the pain I've heard from others because he didn't protect us. But it, that is unforgivable. The damage, the hurt, the sorrow, the anger, the frustration that went through him and what he had to live with until his dying day, and I know that. I'm getting upset there. Almost four years after the Supreme Court Judicial Review saved Father O'Byrne from facing trial, he died peacefully in December 2010. And less than two years after that, in 2012, the Spiritans, who managed some of the most exclusive schools in Ireland, like Blackrock College, they were heavily criticised in an audit reviewing child protection practices. Mark and David were entirely unaware of this audit, did not participate in it, and do not know if their abusers at Blackrock College were included. One thing it did point up, though, is that they were not on their own. Safeguarding children. A series of investigations into four dioceses and three religious orders have revealed cover-ups of child abuse, a culture of secrecy and inadequate child protection policies. The results have been described by the Children's Minister as shocking and disturbing. The report says some children could have been spared abuse if the Spiritans acted sooner. The heads of the missionaries of the Sacred Heart and the Spiritans, formerly known as the Holy Ghost Fathers, said the findings were shameful. In total, 142 allegations of abuse were made against 47 members of the Spiritans since 1975. The report also detailed how serial abusers within the Spiritans went undetected and unchecked, giving them unmonitored access to children during the 1960s, 70s and 80s, the years in which Mark and David were abused on the grounds of Blackrock College. There is also no reference in the report as to how many victims have been paid compensation by the Spiritans and Blackrock College and how much that compensation has amounted to or how many victims have received a personal apology. As a result of the child sex abuse he had suffered, David struggled with his sexuality throughout his adulthood and struggled to tell anyone about it right up until 2016. I'm gay. 
I know I am. I'm admitting it. I am who I am now, but yes. I only told my father five days before he died that I was gay. I said, you're my son, no matter what colour, race, anything. He says, you're my son, I don't care. I kept that all that in up to seven years ago. I never told anybody. I told Mark maybe two years before Dad died. I never told my mother. Never told her. Mama has Alzheimer's and dementia, but I told Dad. And that year was also an important one for Mark. 2016, my father died. And I think that was a catalyst. His death was a catalyst for many things going on in my life. I was watching morning TV, a journalist there, Victoria Derbyshire. She had a guest on who was a footballer. And he started speaking about abuse that had happened to him. And I was watching TV and I just couldn't believe it. He didn't tell a single person about the abuse for over 30 years. I automatically saw there were comparisons, grooming, befriending, and I just saw the parallels. I started to cry. You Um, had never told a soul? No. Never told anyone. But this is the first time I'd ever seen a man stand up and talk about something publicly. And that was, still is, a seminal moment for me. Big changes started to happen then. I knew I needed to get help somehow because I'd been suppressing so many thoughts and emotions over the years and I hadn't dealt with stuff. Mark was then aged 55 years old. For more than 40 years, he had never dealt with the child sex abuse he'd suffered at Black Rock College. But he was now ready to reach out for help and began counselling. Counselling he is still attending today and which helps with the wider impact of the abuse he suffered, including the guilt that if he had said something when Father O'Byrne was abusing him, that it may have saved his younger brother David from being abused. I haven't really spoken to him about what happened, and that's to this day. I can't, because I feel guilty, and I shouldn't feel guilty, but I do. I should have been able to say something and do something, and that's with the logical brain I just didn't, I didn't understand then, I really didn't. Mark has since availed of further therapies, some of which have been funded by the Spiritans. For David, it would be another four years, not until 2020, before he was able to reach out for help. I was finding it harder and harder and harder, and eventually I just broke down. I just couldn't cope any longer. I had to go in for treatment into Asheree two years ago because things got to me. And um, I got into a fit of depression and drinking. I had to break down, a complete breakdown, and that was just everything got to me. Um, I've come out the other side. I've been able to talk about it more. Not easy. It's just the abuse and what it did to me. Getting into a dark, dark corner and life. But it's a slow restart. Uh, and I will get better from it. And I wouldn't have done this two years ago. Not a hope in hell. But that's what actually did for me. They've given me my confidence back and I'm able to stand tall now. Um, I'm getting there. And for David's friend Maura, she's beginning to see the David she first got to know all those years ago before he was abused. In recent years, he has had the strength to kind of go and get help talk about what's going on and I couldn't be more proud of him. It's unbelievable what he has actually achieved. 
And all of that just shows that the inner strength that he has and what he could have been if it hadn't happened. Mark, David and Maura are the first people to openly speak about abuse at Black Rock College. Their story is a shameful part of Irish life, of the Spiritans of Black Rock College. Theirs is the story of young children who were preyed upon in a place and by people who were supposed to care, nurture, cherish and educate them. Still can't deal with it properly. You know, I've never really had an apology. There was no, we're very sorry. That was never, ever been said. I think there are good spiritans, Holy Ghost Fathers. I think they have to stand up and be counted to say this is what went on. For them to free admit that there was abuse going on in the school and there were other victims that were abused and for them to admit it, that's what I want them to say. That they knew what was going on but they just brushed it under the carpet because of who they were and didn't want it to get out into the public because it had such a reputation. It would never happen in Blackrock College. It couldn't. It did. And we know it. And that's what I want them to do. Admit it. That's all I want. And for an apology, a proper apology. The number of children who were sexually abused on the grounds of Blackrock College is unknown. Up until a few weeks ago, the Blackrock College Union website with over 8,000 members in 31 countries, their homepage included the following. We are conscious that the experiences of some of our fellow past pupils whilst at school in Willow Park or Blackrock College may have been damaged by abuse by persons, priest and lay, who were teachers during these important years. There are also a number of groups appearing on social media of past pupils from Willow Park and Blackrock College who allege abuse during their schooling years. What he did, what they did, is just unforgivable. It is totally unforgivable. Because it ruins lives, it ruins families, damages individuals. And that's not just those individuals, but it's what happens to their contacts as well, and their relationships with other individuals. It's huge. And there have to be so many safeguards put in place that this can never happen to other children in any way, shape or form. They ruined my life. They took my childhood away from me, complete childhood away from me. Can't get it back, but what I've got back now, it's, it's worth living for again. It'll never go, but I'm able to cope with it now a lot better than I was. It's one day at a time. That's what it is. It's just one day at a time. It's a struggle at times, but I'm determined that it's not going to beat me. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life. Last Saturday morning, David, Mark and Maura met with and each spoke with the Provincial of the Spiritans, Father Martin Kelly, and with Liam Lally, the designated person within the Spiritans for dealing with allegations of child sexual abuse. This meeting arose out of efforts from a group of former Blackrock College students who were seeking, amongst other things, a public apology from the Spiritans. The meeting took place in the library at Blackrock College at the request of Mark and David, as one of the locations their abuse took place in. 
and amongst the people there, David and Mark were also accompanied by a member of One in Four, the Irish charity supporting adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse and who have helped Mark and David. They both detailed their stories and felt they were genuinely listened to. They have described the meeting as successful, said that the Spiritans were very apologetic and that a written apology was agreed to follow. Whilst this apology will come from the current Spiritan Provincial, those responsible for and with knowledge of Mark and David's abuse have never and can never apologise. Mark, David and Mora also asked a number of questions around their abuse and the Spiritans have agreed to look through their records to try and give answers to all of those questions. A few weeks previous to last Saturday's meeting, we had written to the Spiritans and to Blackrock College, asking a series of questions arising out of the documentary you've just heard. Blackrock College simply referred us back to the Spiritans, and earlier this week, we received a response to our questions from Father Martin Kelly, the current provincial of the Spiritans. And whilst Father Kelly could not answer any questions we asked specifically around David and Mark's case, his response did include that particularly in the last 18 months, more people who have been abused have come forward and have engaged directly with the Spirit and Safeguarding Office. Father Kelly's response also detailed that Spirit and Records currently indicate that 77 Irish Spiritans in ministries throughout Ireland and overseas have had allegations made against them by 233 people, of which 57 people have alleged that they were abused on the Blackrock College campus. The Spiritans have made multiple monetary contributions to people who allege abuse at the hands of Spiritan community members, and since 2004, the total amount paid by the Spiritans in settlements of claims of abuse and towards support services amounts to over 5 million euros. 12 of the 57 people who allege abuse on the grounds of the Blackrock College campus have received financial settlements from the Spiritans, and all settlements have been funded from Spiritan congregation resources. Additionally, Father Martin Kelly confirmed that it has been the practice of the Spiritan congregation to cover legal fees incurred by its members in connection with their legal representation in criminal cases. This is all new information to the general public, but more importantly, to the victims and survivors of abuse. Not just at any spirit in schools in Ireland, but to those who were abused on the grounds of the Blackrock College campus. All of these victims now know they are not, and were never, on their own, even those who have yet to come forward. In respect of personal apologies, whilst Father Kelly did say that at the time of the 2012 review by the National Board for Safeguarding Children in the Catholic Church in Ireland, the then Provincial of the Spiritans made a public apology. Father Kelly now says that some victims and survivors have asked for a personal apology, and others have not sought or wanted personal apologies. Finally, Father Kelly finishes his response to questions raised by us by saying that the Spiritans are continuing to explore new ways of reaching out to those who have been abused by Spiritans and who have not yet come forward. 
and that the Spiritans expect to make a public announcement on this process very shortly.